Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, reconnecting to the essence of you. My guest today is Jean Bennett. He's an Iraq War veteran committed to bring to civilian awareness the real struggles veterans face when they return home. In the book he wrote, We Did Not Deserve the Crapper, The Prison We Entered But Never Fully Left, he provides powerful and, yes, some comfortable perspectives that we should all be open to hear. Hello, Gene, and welcome to Back to Basics. How are you doing? First of all, thank you for having me. This is this is an awesome opportunity, and I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Oh Well, you know, I always say that every person has a great story, and mm-hmm. you really might be the definition. And by great, I mean not only that it's it, that is powerful, you know, it's mm-hmm. not that it's great how, how rosy it all was, because you mm-hmm. obviously uh, have a, a, a different and, and painful story in, in many mm-hmm. aspects, but you have the opportunity to really raise your voice and, mm-hmm. and, and create change. And that, mm-hmm. that's what excites me about having you here. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm fighting the VA right now, so I know all about, you know, raising my voice and you, they know about it, too. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, every episode I start with, uh, you know, the origin story. Why don't you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit of your early beginnings, your childhood? And also, I'm always interested in knowing what were you passionate about? What were mm-hmm. your like things that you love and enjoy doing? All right. Early story. When I was very young, I, I when I was born, I love telling this story because my aunt told me this story in the book. She's Ballbuster Six. She's one of those really, really, really honest people. And she doesn't even realize how honest she is. <laughs> She'll never lie to you because she's she when she hits you over the head with honesty, it's like having a it's like a it's like a doom hammer falling down <laughs> on your head, you know, uh, which could become handy having someone arise. It's difficult oh, by she's, handy. <laughs> oh, she's so handy like that. And that's somewhere <laughs> I got my. So I'm I'm my mother in labor with me is watching the Mickey Mouse Club. OK, and apparently she while she was on her painkiller slash drugs trying to induce labor. Cause I'm like, no, as a fetus, I know this, I can sense this is going to be a dumpster fire. So anyways, no, she's watching the Mickey mouse club when, and, and, and on her drugs, whatever they labor inducing pain, killing drugs, you know, she's watching the Mickey mouse club. And then she, uh, she asked me if I want to be named Mickey. Cause she said she didn't want to call me it. So apparently I kicked once for yes. So yeah, that's all my fault. <laughs> and because my mother's side of the family hate she I was born on my father's birthday and she named me after my father and we're and I was like that is really really stupid <laughs> so I, I've always been like two different people I've been the the hard ass that my father was and I've been the mellow kid who trying to be mellow mm-hmm. and I was kind of introverted to the point of being a hermit even at a young age and Iraq made it worse so but no growing up it was all about playing risk. The, the board game risk. I'm not doing the computer game now. There's, I want the board game. Mm-hmm. Foosball, working on cars, and just 
being a young kid who was a lot skinnier and in better shape than I am right now. So yeah. <laughs> but yeah. My growing up, it was all about, about playing and working on cars and just trying to live the most simple, mellow, chill life possible. You and know? where, where was this? Where were you born and raised? Originally, I was born in a little town called Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Okay. I lived there. I, I, and I grew up when I moved around a lot, when I really averaged out all the moves I did, I, I think I averaged moving every three years. So I lived in Menominee Falls, Milwaukee, Waukesha, which is a nice little suburb due north-ish of Milwaukee. I lived all over Wisconsin before I finally joined the Marine Corps in 1994. And then I did that from 1994 to 98. And my liver hasn't forgiven me for what I did on the med float in 96. So, yeah. And yeah, there you <laughs> but, go. But but let's track a moment there. Were you, did you envision joining, you know, the Marine Corps or any sort of military? Like, was oh, that like a okay, childhood dream that. of yours? Yeah, I, I really like those stories. Okay, here, here's the thing about that. I have a naturally scientifically curious mind. So my mother said, you're just like your father. And I'm like, my father wasn't around. So it's like, I don't know anything about him. So as I learned about him, you know, um, I learned he was in the military. And I, I, I remember the first military movie, I think it was called Stripes with Bill Murray, mm -hmm. Army <laughs> Training. Sir. Yeah, that, that was, that was the fir my first foray into wanting to be in the military. But now here's the story of how I joined the Corps or as we, as we affectionately refer to as Uncle Sam's misguided children. Oh, wow. So there's some, yeah, we're, we're, we're the redheaded stepchildren. You're constantly, it's like if, if we're unsupervised for any period of time, you, you, your job is to become scared. Mm. So my aunt and I, we were staying at my grandma's house and we were going back to my aunt's house on the north side of Milwaukee. And she was driving this giant, and I do mean giant, Pontiac Catalina. It's the equivalent of a Cadillac, okay? It's like two Priuses long almost, okay? <laughs> we're driving. I, I made my aunt mad because I left my sister behind at a restaurant. And I to this day, I feel horrible about it. I never really talked to her about it. But we're driving home to the north side of Milwaukee, and she takes an exit that I we never normally take. And next thing I know, we're in, and we're in a Goodwill uh, homeless shelter parking lot. She grabs the my box of stuff out of the uh, out of the trunk of her giant Pontiac Catalina, which is, I mean, you could you could literally stick a four man fire team in the trunk. It was so huge, it was enormous. So she walks in, walks up to the uh, she walks up to the front desk, and she said, and she's like, she drops my box. She goes to sign me, and she says, "Okay, it's going to be one of two things. It's going to be it's either going to be this or the military," because she. Put that to me because I was just being lazy and shiftless and depressed and all. So I'm I'm looking at her this way, and then I, I look over this way, and there's this homeless dude. It's about 30 feet away, and I could smell him as well as I saw him. Mm -hmm. Like he had a he he had the trench coat on, he had the Jack Daniels bottle in a bag and everything. And I look at him and I'm like, nope, I'm not going out that way. Nope, no, 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 no. So I'm like, all right, you win. And then I when I picked the Marine Corps, she said. I figured you'd be dumb enough to pick the hardest one. Mm. So that's how I joined the Corps. And again, my liver hasn't forgiven me for all the drinking I did in Europe. And I mean, yeah, my <laughs> liver has not. Yeah, I 
I, there are stories in the book of the, some of the dumb, dumb, stupid things I did, and my liver probably looks like a like like a uh, Gucci purse at this point. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I imagine. I mean, that you, as you said, you whatever you know what you chose, it doesn't sound mm -hmm. like the easy road at all. So you you embark on this journey. You decide, mm -hmm. okay, I'm gonna do this. You get shipped mm -hmm. to Europe. Is that what happened? Well, no. I spent. I, I was I was over at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and that's where I was based out of. We did. We did a med float for six months in Europe. We had a wild, wacky little adventure in Albania that I probably should have talked about in the book, but I couldn't dig up my old, 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 old Marine friends who are like geriatric at this point. You know, I couldn't dig them up and it would be too hard to, to tell the story. Like my story in my book was originally only going to be part two. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like a short story. Talk to my friends to get confirmation think the hobbit when bilbo's running out saying i'm going to go on an adventure i didn't really plan it plan it i mean i had a general framework the the confirmations turned into collaborations so part two spilled over into part one part one got so big i had to turn it into a part three which is overflow stories and then part four was just a rant out of the sheer frustration of telling the whole story to get the civilian to really to really appreciate what we go through in the process of doing this so yeah I couldn't tell the story. Uh, there are stories from my time in the Corps I couldn't tell unless I dug up some of my ancient friends. And some of those are, oof, they, they, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're but, rough. The, but, you know, and, and you were so kind to send me uh, your book. I have it here with a beautiful... Oh, look what I got. I got yes. one too. Ah, there you yeah. go. And, uh, you know, I have to say, I have not finished it all because, as you mm -hmm. say, it's, it's a lot of, but it's, it's, I think it's timely and it's mm -hmm. really courageous that you put this mm -hmm. out because, and it's a little different for me. I am in the telecommunications industry and one of our major, mm -hmm. major uh, goals is to help veterans join our industry. And, and mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of initiatives that are around that. But as you say in your book, The perspective of the civilian and what we hear and what you, we see these programs by Veteran Affairs and they, you know, they look like, okay, there's something in place, but, you know, it all always takes to put your different set of glasses and put mm -hmm. yourself in someone else's shoes. And I think you've done that very well with this book where I could almost feel like if I was you and, you know, in some of those challenges you're facing mm -hmm. and The only thing I'll say before I, I because I want to hear from you, no, is sure. that, you know, I know for a fact that the country spends so much money training people to ship mm -hmm. out. But I know, mm -hmm. and I saw the statistics one, and I was horrified how much they spend when they come back. <laughs> It's basically zero compared to what they spend to get you ready for deployment. Oh, yeah. and And definitely that's something and i'm sure it's challenging and one of the questions i'm going to ask at the end is you know yeah. what would you do different because i always i'm a proponent of highlighting problems and issues but also right. but only by digging out into what can we do differently you know mm -hmm. when this is never going to change so you yeah. you come back and and tell us a little bit of the of the return i know you you have dealt with uh PTSD. PTSD, yeah. as you can tell. Yeah. Tell us a little bit of the challenges and yes, when you felt like I have to write a book about this and share these stories. Okay. I was in a, in a nice little power lifters gym, a, a lifters gym in a little town called La Crosse, Wisconsin one night. And my sleep cycle was upside down. That's one of the problems with PTSD besides isolation and extreme irritability. 
I was in the gym and I was just talking. I was I popped my pre-workout and I was waiting for it to kick in so I could really hit it, you know? And again, my sleep cycle was upside down. So I was in my bad, cranky place. And I was talking to this dude. I told him one of my stories. I don't even remember, I don't even remember which story I told him. He's like, dude, you need to write a book. It's like that scene in the Matrix where they're in the set the beginning part of the second part of the Matrix series where it's like the 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 defense grid is going and going going and it'll stop and then you'll have this one opportunity and that for me my my brain is constantly spinning mm-hmm. that's that's what uh, being spun up is one of those problems with PTSD and the, the one moment it stopped as soon as he said that I literally grabbed my laptop and I got on Facebook got on Messenger private chat whatever you want to call it got my guys on there I says I want to tell our story and I said if you're ninety nine percent sure the story dies right here. You're 100% sure I'm going to run with it. And the first guy who chimed in was literally in Afghanistan. Three minutes after I sent the message, he says, do it, I got your back. The other three guys chimed in three hours later and said, do it, I got your back. And I was off and running. And it was it was a beautiful, in, in principle, it was a good thing that I did what I did. But the way it all went down, yeah, I need you need... You need money. Anybody who says you don't need money is, I mean, you need, you just like, dude, you need to stop stealing pop brownies from Willie Nelson. If you think you don't need money to get published, if you self publish, you need money. If you traditionally publish, you need money and you have to suck up to them and you have to prepare for them to just do unspeakably horrible things to your story in the name of being dispassionate, you know? <laughs> and they gut a lot of the emotion. But yeah, you, you need, you need an editor, you need a publisher, you need a publicist, you know, anybody who says it doesn't cost money, you know, stop stealing pop brownies from Willie Nelson, dude, seriously. So, yeah. <laughs> so you decide, okay, I'm going to write these. You, you got your, your crew, they got your back. Was there mm-hmm. anything, any fear about like, I'm going to tell stuff that people don't want me to talk about and what, how's this going to affect me? Okay. Here's my fear. First of all, you got to get through the Pentagon review process. And that like great thing about the Pentagon review process in the age of COVID is nobody was there. The Pentagon review process when it wasn't an issue, especially when I just, to, just to do my due diligence, I get one of my Intel guys who's still, I had a couple of Intel guys. One of them died in 2020, along with one of the characters in my book. And that just broke me, Sorry to hear that. but no, I got one of them like, dude, get a hold of the Pentagon review process and tell me what the hell's going on. And they're like, dude, if I'm not, and he went and looked, he went and checked it out and he went and called him. He's like, dude, just do it. If I'm not, I'm an Intel guy. If I'm not getting anything out of them, you sure as hell aren't getting anything out of them. So um, yeah, that was, but that was one fear, but that wasn't the big, big fear. The, I, I, and I got to be careful how I describe it to this day because, okay. The, the, the Mr. The, the staff Sergeant Nambla character will all, he's that guy. He was the guy. I was scared because I wanted to know where he is because one, the two sworn statements that were written by me and my friend, we had him put somewhere. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you can act if you are a military service member and you misbehave badly enough downrange, you can be stripped of your social security number and you don't exist. Okay. I don't know where he is. I do know he probably wants to just kill me. You know, and I don't blame him, but once you read about him, that is the dude, your your limbic, your savage barbarian, you know, caveman part of your brain, your instincts kicks in and says, don't turn your back on him. 
everybody I met down in the compound that I talked to, none of them wanted to turn their backs on them. One of them literally said, I would never leave my grandchildren alone with him. Okay. I want to know where he is. It's simply because he's just, once you read about him, he's that short of an act of God. He is not, he is irre, he is irreparable. He is a, he is an engine block that has exploded. There's no fixing that. If they put him wherever they put him, I guarantee you there was no safe spaces or counseling of any kind. They just stuck him in a hole and he's, he is where he is. So it was that the big, the big fears were that and the rest of the unit. That's why I contacted the guys that I contacted because this story needed to be told right, because I didn't want the Pentagon coming after me. I didn't want the old unit coming after me. And especially the Mr. Excuse me, the staff Sergeant Namble character, because there is one way I can find out where he is, but I'm never going to exercise it because it's one of those, you don't want to go down that rabbit hole kind of things, you know? And you want to get better and recover from the anxiety and all that. So I say that it's good that you told the story, but and use it as a platform to to kind yeah. of hopefully move forward. And, 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 you know, it's, I mean, obviously the service that you've, you've given the country and uh, mm. all your, I mean, I definitely, I think that that's general aspect of it is so powerful mm. and so unappreciated uh, as, I, as I saw you reading, like we take it for granted that there's people out there doing this for us. And, and it's almost like people don't want to even acknowledge it because it's, it's a big sacrifice that, right. that, that all of you do. The frightening thing about that, let me speak on that real quick. The frightening thing about that, that is a, a testament of our success of how well we've preserved your freedoms is that you can actually be that oblivious and you can say, I can't, I just can't process that, just whatever. So as much as we hate it, because I was raised by a Vietnam vet who was spit on and called baby killer and had rocks thrown him when he came home from Vietnam. That is as much as I hate it. That's a litmus test too. We we defended their right to do all these things, all the good things and all the bad, ungrateful, worthless, worthless things. So yeah, as much as it sucks, it's a litmus test of how well we preserve people's freedoms. Yeah, and that and that's powerful. And so I'm trying to to you know like based on your own experience and the many challenges, mm -hmm. you come back, you come back. Yeah. And there's uh, tools that get put to your uh, at your disposition. In your experience, like what would be like the general experience that that soldiers coming back are experiencing? Do do you think they all feel unsupported? Do you think there's oh. some support? It doesn't go the way for everybody. Like if you had to speak for the majority, what would you think mm -hmm. would be that experience? Well, here's the thing. You're right. They spend a boatload of money training us up and getting us ready. And then when we get back, poof, out the door. Now, it's not that they don't do anything, but what they do is so lazy, token, and tone deaf because they don't have the knowledge. They don't have the mindset to just say, thank you. We want to understand what you're actually going through. Uh, they just, they just, it's like, you get you you go to a, a, a when you go to to uh, get issued stuff called CIF. It's where you get it's where you're issued everything before you deploy, and they they throw so much stuff at you. You might as well ratchet strap a Connex box to your back, okay? When when you get there, they just throw everything at you. You sign for it and you're gone. But when they get with CIF, the reason we hate them is when you get back. Oh, this has a mark on it. We're going to charge you this, that, and the other. 
they with the problem with the like the VA and your governmental agencies is they they have a one size fits most attitude and we, if it doesn't fit you screw you pardon my language mm-hmm. the other thing is they just throw it at you you know they, they in Africa apparently when they I, I heard from this uh, from my ex fiance one of her sister or whatever when they get back from the war they put them in this village and say you sit here you decompress you chill we'll come get you. They don't do that for us here. They just they just throw things at you, and you're like, we don't actually care if it works. It's an option. That's the that's the horrible thing. That's the reason I always hate the VA. One again, it's one size fits most. If you don't like it, up yours. You know, and that's the problem. They have a tone, and they have that because no offense, because they're civilians, they have this stupid tone deaf romanticized idea of what they think war should be, and they won't listen to us when we say no. This is what it is. This romanticized crap you need to do away with. You need to unlearn this now. And they're like, no, no, we're going to give you whatever we want to give you. We don't actually care if it works. We just, we're here to give it to you to say we tried to give it to you and you're on your own. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's been my experience. Because of the Vietnam War, you know, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of my veteran brothers and I, a lot of the older ones are like, dude, they're just, they're just in this to use us as a means of a paycheck and a pension. We're nothing but a means to that end. And yeah, it's, it's, they, there is no thought. Okay. Let me put it to you like this. There is, and when you, when you go to automotive technician school, you learn, you learn the seven step diagnostic process. And when you get, when you've used every scan tool, every diagnostic trouble tree and all that, all those procedures and they don't work, they, we have a saying, fire the parts cannon. Okay. Meaning throw parts at it and just guess until it's fixed. The VA and the government, when it comes to treating veterans, they have, okay, remember that scene in, in Predator where Jesse Ventura takes the, mach- takes the minigun and just clear cuts the forest? Mm-hmm. The VA and the government has turned the parts cannon into that minigun and they're just spraying and praying and they don't care what they hit and they're just, okay, we did something. Well, what you did was stupid. Well, with it, we have this option. We don't care if it's stupid. We're just going to do it. And if you doesn't, and then they'll demonize you. That's what they do. They demonize you. If you don't like what they did to you and it's like what you did was stupid and counterproductive and didn't actually help me. Well, this is the program we have. Yeah. That's their attitude. They're, they're, that's their rotten attitude that it, it's, it's, it's again, it's like that engine block that's completely exploded. It's irreparable. Yeah. You know, I so. think it's just the machine. And of course I'm not, mm-hmm. but, but the machine is so big. It's so and big it just because, you, down. you know, I can only speak from what I see. And there's a big mm-hmm. effort from the government and Veterans Affairs trying to do right. But of course, if <laughs> if there's a big disconnect, this is the problem. If there's a big disconnect with what I think you need, with what you really need, and, I, mm-hmm. and there's nobody really taking authentic, genuine interest. Oh, no. Into, and then that's a problem. And, and, well, yeah. and so, yeah. so both things are kind of true. Like there is effort being done, but the effort is almost a, a bad because they. It is no, not almost bad. It is bad. It is counterproductive. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It's just a matter of the intention. I, I really truly believe it's not bad. The intention is they want to provide help. It's just they don't know how to. And you see this everywhere. You see this in, mm-hmm. in schools. When you, you see people, the principal should have known this. I mean, I have a seven-year-old. You don't have three parents that agree mm-hmm. that what the same principal is doing is correct. Like you have the parent that thinks it's good. You have the parent that... I mean, it, so yeah. it's very complicated to 
to solve because these are very complicated issues. But at the bottom line, there the compassion, I think, piece of it, the humanity mm-hmm. that we need to deal with people that are sacrificing their lives, basically. Mm-hmm. That should never be put into question. And that should be, if I was, you know, running that, or I'm sure you are, like that first line of contact when you come back needs to be, you know, different, I think, for what I hear you say. They'd have to actually listen to us and our our concerns would. The problem with the VA, I don't, I don't have insurance. So basically, I have to fight with and scream at them to get them to listen. I'm currently under, again, I'm, I'm doing the TMS therapy, the magnetic pulse therapy. I'm everything I'm get every all the help I'm getting. I literally just did a radio interview a few days ago and they've got they're trying to get me hooked up with a doctor who will map my brain. Mm-hmm. The VA would never do that. If you, here's the thing, it's all if if you don't have insurance, they're not you will always get the bottom of the barrel care, okay? And, and here's the thing. When a sergeant major, the top of the enlisted food chain in a battalion comes in, he 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 does his walk-through inspection, he talks to his NCOs. The good ones the good ones will say, okay, we have this in the book. When do you get to the part where they talk about what's called the E4 Mafia? I was a card-carrying member of the E4 Mafia. The good sergeant major is like, okay, I've got the dog and pony show from you. Now go get me the most foul-mouthed, overworked, stressed-out E4 Mafia member who's doing a lot of the work that you're delegating to him and killing him. Get him in here, and I want his take because then he's, that's gonna it's going to balance everything out. They don't want to have this talk with 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 the the grizzled old veterans who who are on the receiving end of their care because then it's going to look bad on them. Their craftsmanship is going to be put into question, and you need you don't just need some counselor or some advocate. The advocate is it's token garbage. Okay, you need the bean counters, you need the supervisors, you need the managers sitting down. With a crusty old E4 Mafia guys, the crusty old platoon sergeants who are having to take care of their Joes because the the the, the these government workers won't—they're just in this this malaise where they're just doing it for the sake of doing it. There is no there is no connection there, like you're talking about, and there is no—they just again they 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 fired the parts cannon. They don't care what does or doesn't work. They're just their attitude is. Here's your option. Take it or you're on your own. You know. Yeah. So yeah. No, that, that, that that gut level talk needs to happen. Absolutely. Listen, I can only imagine. I don't think one person in this country and well, in many countries, but that will not complain about insurance companies. Like I think mm-hmm. anybody listening to this can relate how one sided, unfair that that feels. That layer, just the insurance company, right? I can only mm-hmm. imagine being in your situation, like being somebody returning from war that you know you're going to have several issues that require even more of that insurance. So it's, oh, yeah. it's basically you're living in this environment where, you know, you are having to be exposed on a daily basis, most, most likely with fight after fight and trying to get, mm-hmm. you know, the support you need. And right. and I totally get it how it can be. And, and I'm using this example because for the listeners, I think we can all relate to that insurance bill coming back and the, the insurance having to pay it and, and they say no and you have nobody to talk to, nobody to, you know, and and you didn't sacrifice anything. But for somebody that sacrifices as much, risks their lives, mm-hmm. you know, to be dealing with that, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking for sure. 
I'm going to propose a solution. It will never happen. Never, ever, ever, ever will it happen. Mm-hmm. Here's what we do. Dissolve and disband the VA. Disband it. Take all that money, convert it into individual insurance accounts for veterans. Have unit, have outfits like the DAV, the American Legion, and the VFW empower them to give them the power to help, the, to advocate, to aggressively advocate for the veterans to get into good civilian hospitals that care about them. Because I'll, I'll send you the link to a VA watchdog page later, and um, you can go read all of the horror stories. Yeah. I mean, I've got horror stories. Get to the end of my book. I'll, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a section in the epilogue where I talk about my VA horror stories. Uh, and when I do my writer's guide, I'm going to tell a story about the, what I'll simply refer to as the New Jersey incident in which I talked about the two-day diabetic coma, the VA ultimately pawned off 60 plus thousand dollars worth of medical expenses on New, on the state of the the on the charity organization that is run by the state of New Jersey. And I had my Wounded Warrior Project guy who was helping me handle the whole thing. He's the classic sweet, he's the classic que- squeaky clean voice of reason. Never would utter a curse word. He was dropping F-bombs like I would. Mm-hmm. He was that mad. I mean, literally, I had to go to my caseworker because they were dr- they were coming after me for bills like $1,000 at a crack. Okay, I go to him. We have conversations with them. I'm like, we're trying to explain to them that the VA is supposed to put... We're, we're, we're speaking to them in every language short of fluent, drunken Klingon to explain to them. But we sent it to the VA and they kicked it back. And then we disband the VA convert all that money into individual insurance accounts valid because here's the thing the one thing they'll never tell you the civilians will not work through the va because the va they micromanage too much they never ever pay providers on time i've got a provider up in ohio that i want to work with who will not he only accepts cash because the, when he deals with the va they never pay him on time if at all mm-hmm. the v that's one thing the va will never tell you they never pay on time and they micromanage in the most draconian way possible work to where civilians don't want to work with them. Mm, that is incredible. They, they have a conversation with any doctor who deals with the VA and say, hey, do, are they a nightmare to work with? Yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I, I believe that all that, that's the scary part, you know, that you, you read it and you, I don't think there's doubt that that's the case because I'm saying there's chaos in normal situations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One can only imagine, you know, that in the situation where, you know, there's somebody else paying the bill and somebody and, you know, these benefits that you're entitled to that you should yeah. be receiving, they need to pan out. But what I love the most, and we'll talk about your what projects you have working on that excite you, but for what you said, I totally see another book, a sequel the solutions book and you really i really think your position to become a subject matter expert into how and even if they don't use everything with the knowledge mm-hmm. and the contacts you have inside to propose things you would do if you were the man in charge i think that would be very powerful to tell you the well, truth. what i would do i would not just make it about me i would have a group of guys with me mm-hmm. like i did not tell that story until i got all my guys i Bled, I bled them dry as far as stories are concerned. So I would have to get a group of guys together. Again, it's going to be the sergeant major with the NCOs giving the sweet, loving, you know, dog and pony show, and then the, the grizzled, crotchety old E4 Mafia guys and the old crotchety old platoon sergeants, you know, providing some really good balance 
Okay. I I'd get a team together and we'd make all these decisions together. And what I'm working on besides my project, besides that book, we're actually going to talk about doing a re-release now that I've got a really good publishing consultant who's she, that woman is a miracle worker. I'm telling you, and she's, I love her to death, but now we're going to re-release that. We're also working on a cookbook. And now as a result of a conversation with another podcast that I just talked to, I got to get, I got to get some vegan stuff in there. So I got to reach out to my vegan or no, excuse me, vegetarian veteran brothers Mm -hmm. and sisters and be like, okay, we need a vegan section or some kind of vegan pointers or whatever for the book to make sure they get represented. You know, so it's the, that the cookbook for, and I'll just explain it like this, the hybrid brick oven smoker. And yeah, that uh, I'll tell you about that a little later. Uh, and the writer's guide to help veterans and first responders and people struggling with PTSD tell their story from the, from a mindfulness sense to where you're working with your writer's block as best you can, you know, either getting through it or avoiding it or processing everything. Cause writer's block is just extensive processing really. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to do all those things. We'll put all that stuff together to get, to get veterans mindful and, and getting through their struggles. But what we ultimately got to do is we got to deal with the, uh, the the three-headed monster of PTSD, diabetes, and low testosterone for men, because that's the three-headed monster that the VA will not touch. And I've been out begging other charity organizations to help. And I'm just kind of, I'll do it on my own. And we'll have to find a way to get some veteran nonprofit that actually cares about veterans. And I'm not naming names, but there, there's a, 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 that cares about veterans enough to almost establish a parallel medical economy for lack of a better way of saying it. So veterans can get, care from doctors that actually care about them because I hate to say it I currently refer to my my primary care provider as Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter mm. mm-hmm. called her that to her face wow that's how bad it is wow, wow. so that's... we yeah the you're right the compassion thing needs to be there or yes yeah. yes and 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 you know I think you have a podcast in you I mean how powerful would it be to bring the voices of other veterans well I got to get back to, I got to get back on a podcast. I, I was told to get one. I'll, I'm, I'm going to get my projects done first because I need my projects done because my, I, as a man, I am not you like a woman where I can effortlessly uh, multitask. I can't multitask. <laughs> I'm working on the brick oven smoker right now. I got my financier. I'm trying not to choke through the internet. I got my engineer, my engineer buddy that I love dearly. Uh, he's going in a snail space. I'm like, okay, let me <laughs> let me hit him with a taser. Come on, let's go. You know, so yeah, I'm trying to gently herd them along, and I'm trying to keep all my other people happy because I'm fighting my isolation issues. So it's like it's I, I got to get in a good place where I've got enough projects done to where I can present it and say this is what I actually have for you. So they'll take me seriously. Uh, so well, yeah. I'm telling you, I'm taking you very seriously. I think you're very courageous. The energy I feel from you is mm-hmm. creative energy. The mm-hmm. energy on the book obviously okay. was not that mm-hmm. energy because you you went through a lot. And I mean we didn't mm-hmm. wanna I, I personally I know that to recover from these experiences probably Mm-hmm. impossible completely but but the more you the more you feel like you're doing good and you're giving back and what you're trying to do is really highlight the problems and solve mm-hmm. them and help solve them and help create these conversations that i say they're not mm-hmm. usually easy we don't want to oh, no. hear about it but we need right. to hear about it because this is this this is important uh, that we all acknowledge it and also that anybody that's responsible and part of it Again, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm 
I believe in the goodness of people. So I never approach mm-hmm. anything like they don't want to do what's best. I always approach right. that people want to do what's best, but they probably don't go the extra mile. They go the minimum. When you have people doing their job for a paycheck, whatever mm-hmm. comes out of them is very mediocre. And, well, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? I think the pro- the problem is they're not really connected into the community in, in a sense. And you got to be careful about the veteran community because, okay, here, here I, gotta, I really need to explain this. When we come, when we come home, we bring certain habits home with each other. Like here's my uh, coffee mug. I, if I, you know, go anywhere within a four mile radius, that's because when you're downrange, the four mile radius is where you're most likely to get hit. If I don't have a certain amount of caffeine in my system, I just can't get out the door. When we as veterans diagnose and assess each other in, 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 in any given moment, we look at each other as to say, can I trust this dude, this chick, this individual in the most insane, stupid, made-for-movie shenanigans-induced moment possible? And usually the answer is some degree of no, simply because once you've been downrange and you've had your mortality slapped in the slap you in the face, it really creates trust issues. So we bring that home with us. And then when the civilian just kind of walks in like, hey, how's it going? And they kind of step all over themselves and say things that might be tone deaf or whatever. We don't react well to it. So we kind of close off. So there's got to be, a, 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 at the very least, an attitude of mindfulness to just, you know, I always have to say the right things. Just don't say stupid things and, and try to act really hard like you care. Like uh, one of my favorite sayings from one of my old first sergeants was, you need to develop a very strong desire to not screw this up. Mm. And that doesn't exist in this. And, and that's an old, old saying, but it's true. But with that mediocrity, people don't care. People don't have that desire. So yes. you, we need to have kind of have a screening process. It's like with that, we, you need to develop a desire, a strong desire to not screw this up. Kind of a litmus test, you know, it's like, do you get it? Do you care about us? Do you understand? Yeah. Have some kind of an inkling of the sacrifices that we make and what we're struggling with. Absolutely. Uh. Yeah. I think that's, I think that goes into your solutions book. I think the recruiting of anybody into that capacity of affecting mm-hmm. decisions that really affect and impact the return yeah. of, a, of, of somebody from, from these circumstances is crucial. Mm-hmm. Like that recruiting has to be really good. Uh, I agree because it, it's, it's sad when you have people that just like don't care. And, and, and unfortunately I say after COVID, I feel that more and more people are just like, whatever, like, you know, I don't know if you feel the same, but I feel there's in every aspect, yeah, like even at restaurants, you know, like you get the wrong mm-hmm. dish and they don't want to change it. It's like, like, you know, so. Yeah. Well, no, here, here's what we need to do. I'm actually, I'm, I might give it one more try. Um, I was talking with some of my old unit guys. I'm talking with my guys that were in my compound, right? And I'm trying to get one more. I'm going to take one more try at it. I want to get them to tell their stories from their perspective, in their compounds, in their duties, you know. And I want to do that as a sequel, as a way of saying, okay, I'm going to help you get these stories out. Because I've already got mine out. Mm-hmm. I've, what I could, mm-hmm. you know. And I want to get them telling those stories. Because I'm telling my story as unabashedly and bluntly as possible. So other veterans can take my book and be like, okay, this is his story. I, you give it to the civilians and then you say, you're going to be pop quizzed on this. And then the civilian is going to come back and be like, 
is this really the shenanigans you engage in when the cameras aren't rolling around that and then some, yeah. So I want to do that. And then that way we can have, we can have civilians reading this to kind of prime them to get a better understanding of what we're dealing with. So they can get in that right mindset. Like, dude, these people are screwed up because you trained them and you sent them off. And then when they got home, you just, tossed them to the wind. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. They just, we need to have a conversation about the romanticized BS garbage attitude towards what war is versus what the veterans are actually telling you what it is. Mm -hmm. And we got to have the talk with each other about it too, before we present it to you, which means we need to not be skinning each other alive daily online. Because again, that horribly harsh assessment attitude that we bring home with us it's like rock em, sock em robots we just beat each other with them you know yeah. so we got to stop bludgeoning each other half death first and then we can have the conversation with you guys but you guys put it this way there's a I, mean, I live here in north carolina so it's the bible belt so i've even said to a pastor I says, you need to have for for veterans and for christians who want to interact with veterans you need to take the book of job mm -hmm. and you need to focus on his three idiot friends about all the dumb stuff they said, because they were fine until they started talking. And then all their stupid assumptions on what they thought happened did a lot more damage. Cause it's like that. You, you, you think, you know, based on what you watch in movies, what's going on downrange in a war zone, but then there's what we're telling you. That's where the conversation needs to start. Uh, well, I love that. And that's, for anybody out there that wants to support, I know that I got lucky and I got it with a very nice note by Gina at the at, at the front. But we did not deserve the crapper, the prison we entered, but never fully left. You can mm -hmm. purchase it and just, you know, this is the one thing we can all do is, you know, understand a their perspective, learn what they go through and, you know, and mm -hmm. just be supportive. And uh, I really thank you, Jean, for being so courageous and having this conversation and raising awareness on a very important subject. Mm -hmm. And uh, my last uh, question for you is something a little lighter. It's, you know, I always ask, yeah. what do you do? Obviously, you love to go to, well, I don't know if you love, I know you go to the gym and yeah, you pump yeah. uh, heavy, he you do heavy lifting. Anything else when you feel, and even back when you were deployed or anything that needed to, that lifeline that kept connecting? Oh, yeah, yeah, Really, I I do, I don't like writing, but I was told I was good at writing. So I do write as an outlet, but um, I do a lot of cooking. Mm -hmm. Mainly because we as veterans, once you've eaten MREs for anything more than six days at a time, you're going to spend the rest of your, of your life trying to get the taste out of your mouth because it's disgusting. And I, a lot of my cooking is like super creative and super free spirited. And I like, I'll, I'll uh, post some pictures on your Instagram or I'll send them to mm -hmm. you about some of the cooking. I do a lot of cooking. I saw some of it on I Facebook. Do, you do have a Facebook uh, page, right? Yes. Would, Mickey Severson. Yes, yeah. Yes. Um, I do that. And I've got my, we did not deserve the crapper page. I got to get back on that. Mm -hmm. My book's on Amazon right now. It's just Kindle, but I've got that miracle worker working on getting everything coalesced and fixed and i'll let you know when that's mm -hmm. done it's it's on amazon right now in kindle form but we're working on getting the kindle the paperback and the hardcover versions consolidated all into one page so we can get at it but yeah it's cooking weightlifting i did make a promise in the book that i would resto mod my jeep meaning it will the body will be gutted the frame will be removed from the body the entire drive train will be replaced 
that's my other passion. I love, I love, love doing, I want to get back into the automotive industry, but the problem is my second, that, that, that second juvenile murder really destroyed my confidence and my decision-making abilities, which is what I'm trying to get resolved. So I want to get back, I'm doing the cooking, I'm doing the cookbook and the brick oven, the hybrid brick oven smoker. I'm doing the writer's guide. I'm doing, I'm trying to get all these projects done and then I'm just going to help veterans write their stuff and I'm going to continue cooking and eventually, I'd like my cooking to be good enough to get me, uh, you know, wifed up, which would be nice. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, it's it, that's my big three: cooking, working out, and working on cars. I want to get back to those passions again, but I got to get over my isolation issues to where I'll get out and actually do things. Uh, so, well, I, I, yeah. as I said, I think I feel the energy, I feel your willingness to 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 do great stuff, and I really thank yeah. you for everything you've done. For your service, mm -hmm. of course, but uh, you know, uh, you have a friend down in Miami. I thank you for sharing your story and the book, and I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of you and the, and the important work you'll do. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.